elevate your summer with Osea's best-selling body care set. It's everything you need for radiant summer skin on the go. Featuring travel sizes of Osea's clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral skincare, like their best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Right now, you can get the best-seller's body care set, a $78 value, 33% off. And use code SUMMER to save an additional 10%. That's an additional 10% off at OCEAMalibu.com code SUMMER. Discover a new educational and interactive podcast, Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids. Our episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We went shape hunting around the block, and we found spheres and cubes on the street. That was great fun. Join Stories for Kids, the Lingo Kids podcast, inspiring you to learn while having fun. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Snakes. Zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public, the list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Welcome to Money Making Conversations. It's the show that shares the secrets of success experienced firsthand by marketing and branding expert Rashawn McDonald. I will know. He's given me advice on many occasions, and in case you didn't notice, I'm not broke. You know he'll be interviewing celebrity CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. It's what he likes to do. It's what he likes to share. Now it's time to hear from my man, Rashawn McDonald. Money Making Conversations. Here we go. Welcome to Money Making Conversations Masterclass. I'm your host, Rashawn McDonald. I recognize that we all have different definitions of success. For you, it may be the size of your paycheck. Mine is inspiring people to accomplish their goals and live their very best life. It is time to stop reading other people's success stories and start writing your own. People always talk about their purpose or gifts. If you have a gift, lead with your gifts and don't let your friends, family, or coworkers stop you from planning or living your dreams. My guest is a civil rights activist that has always prevailed against the odds, rising from GED to PhD. He's a community organizer, Dr. Jamal Harrison Bryant. He combines sound biblical teaching, business acumen, and political insight to propel the body of Christ to action in greater levels of faith. He's the senior pastor of New Birth Missionary Baptist Church, a graduate of Morehouse College and of Duke University. His leadership efforts have always began to strengthen the multi-generational bond among members, expand community outreach, cultivate families, and expand the church's cultural significance. Please welcome the Money Making Conversations Masterclass for the very first time, and hopefully not the last, Dr. Jamal Harrison Bryant. How are you doing, sir? Doing wonderfully well, brother. Good to hear your voice and to see your face. Well, great. The same thing there. You know, well, I see your face more than you see mine. That's for sure on TV. <laughs> right. I'd say, uh, you know, it was, it was a time when they, when they, when they, when your church reopened and members were allowed back into the church. I, I saw you on every channel, and that was an, and that was a blessing because of the fact that you know the journey that started in 2020. Talk about the 2020 and some of the trials. And we have to say that you went through to overcome and. Question your faith. People, you have to deal with the health. The black community was affected the worst of people of brown skin tone. So talk about that 2020 to now in the reopening of the church. Uh, it was, uh, COVID was uh, the best thing I think that ever happened to the church. Yes, sir. Uh, because it made us move outside of the four walls. Uh, if you study the life of Jesus, 92% of what he did was outside of the church. But the contemporary model, 98% of what churches do is inside. Uh, And so we had to uh, re-examine what does church mean? Is it four walls? Is it a steeple? Is it stained glass windows? Is it a Hammond organ? Or is it service to the community? And so as a consequence, the church never closed. The building did. And so since 2020 to today, uh, Rashawn, you ought to know that uh, we fed over 800,000 people uh, confronting food insecurity. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the midst of uh, the pandemic, uh, we were able to give disaster relief uh, to people in Mississippi, Louisiana, and to Texas. Right. Uh, in the midst of uh, 
the pandemic since 2020, uh, over 3,000 people joined our church online, never getting the right hand of fellowship. Wow. What is interesting to note is that culture changes every four years, but Black church culture changes every 20. Mm -hmm. So the average church is 15 years behind schedule. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of churches didn't make it. Why? Because uh, they were not technologically savvy. Mm -hmm. They didn't know how to do online giving. Uh, and they didn't know how to have a hybrid approach of being high tech and high touch. Right. We mastered all of those through the grace of God and was able to excel. Well, that's it's really good that you're saying that because as an African-American community, we always, you know, we got the, we got the cell phone, but do we understand the technology? You know, I, right. as a person who's been in radio and TV and, uh, you know, all the big giants, whether it's uh, or Apple, Google, they never look at the African-American community for technical forward thought, for, for academic excellence, or for employment. What role is the church playing in that as far as under your leadership? I'm not trying to expect you to speak for every church, but under right. your leadership, what role are you playing to advance the narrative of African-Americans with technology? So we started last summer doing something a little bit cutting edge. We canceled Vacation Bible School and started doing coding class uh, so that our young people will... Uh, be able to have uh, some competitive foot uh, in a global market and trade. As you very well know, most of our inner city public schools don't offer such. And I think that uh, part of the responsibility of the church is to not just advance consumerism, uh, but to make sure that we are producers as well. Which is really, really important. Now, you know, when they sent this question over to me, and I want to ask, said, when you arrived at Newburgh, you walked into a massive death. It was something I didn't know anything about. You know, because when you look at a church, you know, you know, people you have you have you have, you have people who join the church, they donate, and and then you, but you walk into a, in a debt situation. How did you manage to reduce the debt so quickly? Because was it through corporate donations? Was it through the the members of the church? And what plan did you put in place so it won't happen again? Uh, well, you have to understand, I came uh, a little. After two and a half years after Bishop Long died. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. uh, and so they went through uh, a dip in membership, mm -hmm. uh, in attendance, in participation, and in leadership. Yes, sir. Uh, and so as a consequence, uh, I one, let me say, we got no corporate donations. Right. Uh, is that I modeled stewardship uh, and increased uh, the volume of trust that they ought to have uh, in the church and made sure that church was not just a Sunday morning experience, uh, but a Monday through Saturday, Saturday interaction. Right. Uh, and so as a consequence of uh, begin to do aggressive uh, saving, uh, investing, uh, and uh, aggressive in uh, a debt reduction, uh, almost doubling up what our mortgage payment was uh, in order to get that done. And then refinance uh, to take it out of the hands of an evangelical bank uh, and do business with a black bank right here in Atlanta, Citizens Trust. One thing we learned over the last 2020, I'm going to tell you, I've been an entrepreneur, and publicly, it, I don't know if I was always comfortable with letting people know I was a black owner. Right. But since George Floyd, you know, Google has even made a request if, if you are a black owner, so they can put that in their directory. So with that transition and then the opening of new Black Wall Street, it's really as you know. You you're at the forefront of it. You know you're 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 talking to people with their struggles, their uplift. How do you look at the new Black Wall Street, and how does the church play that role? And beyond the church, the success stories that you're trying to put out there. I think the deficit of the Black Church, in large measure, is when the Black Church, and I'm speaking in generality, yes, sir, speak of, speaks about economics. We only do it in terms of asking people for their tithe. Right. We're asking for 10%, but never show people how to multiply the 90. And I think part and parcel of my responsibility as pastor uh, is to talk about how do we uh, manage our revenue. Uh, Dr. King said before his demise that uh, African-Americans spending power made us uh, the 14th wealthiest nation in the world. At this point, we're the 11th wealthiest nation in the world, but we're not doing anything about it. In the Asian community here in America, uh, their dollar circulates 23 times before it leaves their hands. 
in the Jewish community 17 times before it leaves their hands. In the Caucasian community, 12 times before it leaves their hands. In the black community, our check is cashed just 30 minutes before we hand it over to somebody else. And so when we talk about economic development, it's got to be not just a campaign, but a mind frame. And so to celebrate Juneteenth, uh, I am challenging the community to open up 1,000 accounts at Citizen Trust Bank. Uh, 86% of people in our community don't own a diamond stock. And so on Sunday, I'm challenging our community and bringing in Black brokerage firms uh, for African-Americans to leave an inheritance uh, and to know how to do investment. If we just have checking accounts, the banks don't look at us. Right. Uh, to your original question about uh, Black Wall Street, it was the brainchild of Mr. Bill Allen. And he told me about it. And I told him there's no way it'll succeed if the Black church is not interloped in the idea. Right. And so I came and walked alongside him, uh, made an agreement with him that of the 100 businesses that are in Black Wall Street, 10% of them have got to be uh, business owners that come out of new birth. Uh, to make sure that we are really uh, championing the call. Uh, My conviction, Brother McDonald's, if I have 10,000 members, why are you struggling to sell your book? Mm -hmm. How come you don't have any clients? Because they're right there in the church. We've got to develop our own ecosystem in order to thrust us to that model. Well, you know, but that's one of the main reasons why I'm fortunate on WCLK to do Money Making Conversation Masterclass. It's by promoting dreamers, especially in the entrepreneurship and small business of the lane. Now, when I look at you, you're a Morehouse grad. HBCUs have been at the forefront of academic excellence forever, but only recently because of massive donations by individuals in the corporate world. Led, uh, How is that? Does that make you feel good, Dr. Bryant, or it makes you disappoint you that there's nothing that's ever been wrong with HBCUs. We just hadn't been recognized or given our due. I think um, that we in the HBC orbit have understood our value without mainline acceptance. Right. Uh, HBCUs graduate more black doctors, uh, more lawyers, more doctor degrees uh, than uh, predominantly white institutions. Mm-hmm. With minimal support and financial backing is awe-inspiring. Now that we have it, uh, the the sky is the limit and people now walk on the moon. Uh, And so I think that this is really just putting us in a greater place. Well, I I help you all out with those stats that he, uh, it's top of my mind. 50% of the black school teachers come from HBCUs. 80% of the medical doctors and dentists come from HBCUs. 70% of the judges and lawyers come from HBCUs. 40% of the black members of Congress come from HBCUs. 25% of the STEM graduates come from HBCUs. North Carolina A&T graduates more black engineers than any engineering program in the country. Also, there are more generals in the Army, outside of West Point, who are black from from South Carolina State, those are the stats that I that need to be out there. That I that I is burned I in my memory. To me. I need all of that. Send me all. Of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, well, see, that's what that's that's why we do this show, Doctor Brian, because right. it's about information, me, sir. It, it, it's about information. Our people are dying from a lack of knowledge. Thank you. And that, and that, and that you know, and the, and the knowledge is, you know. It is 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 preaching. Now I can do this show. I can do a pre-recorded show and and just go on about my business. But I've turned this show into a show where people can call in and to get somebody. And you're a local giant. To have you come on my show is part of the, the building of the brand. You know, to have the new Black Wall Street. Those entrepreneurs need to know they have a vocal home right here yeah. where they can come and t- share their dreams and expand their brands. So, general relationally, what do you feel the black community needs to understand about money? You talked about the stock market. Because now mm. I would tell anybody who's listening, when the stock market is down, that's when you want to buy. You want to buy when it's a bear. You don't want to buy when it's a bull. And so, if you, what you're talking about, bringing in that type of money, but that's a different type of money. But you had an incredible stat about how money doesn't stay in the black community's hands. So what do we really need to understand? Because if you're going to talk about money, you got to talk about credit and credit and money 
tends to be a separate conversation in the black household. I uh, often uh, use this example uh, that I know, Brother McDowell, you can uh, run across the 50-yard line with. <laughs> that is, black people are the only people in the world who have a housewarming party for an apartment. Right. Uh, because we don't really uh, talk about home ownership. Right. Uh, my father put uh, my sister and I on a plan when we got out of college, which was the 10-10-80, which I still model to this day, which is save 10%, tithe 10%, live off of 80 mm-hmm. percent. Uh, and it really helped us when you realize that the average African-American lives at 110 percent of their income, uh, that we're in debt uh, trying to keep up with the Joneses. The credit card debt is through the roof. Um, we can have a whole different show uh, about the, the swamp known as student loans. Uh, and so there's a whole lot of financial literacy that is so needed and necessary for us to be able to thrive and get our footing. Uh, it sounds good at this level, but there are those who are in the trenches who really don't have a basic understanding right. of what you're talking about, a bull and a bear. They, they got no idea. Right. Uh, that we are not in the conversation about inflation and about how that's going to impact every area of our lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now it's uh, part and parcel responsibility of the church uh, to impart that knowledge and to share that wisdom. You know, it's really interesting when I hear you talk, when I hear the uh, financial literacy, that's such a big word. It's, it means so much. And sometimes you can, you can let people, they, they walk in the room, they walk out, really didn't yes. gain anything from the conversation. How can I help? You know, what the mission that you're putting in place in this city. This is, you know, I have a certain skill set. I have a have a show to be able to move forward a narrative, but it's about job. It's about economic development. It's about money and getting the right jobs in place. How can a person like Rushon McDonald and my show can help the cause and move the needle? Cry loud and spare not. Uh, you you doing the doggone thing. Uh, <laughs> we, with so much of our focus is on entertainment and not on enlightenment. Uh, And so what you're doing just in this conversation is a revolutionary act in and to itself. Uh, We like to sing, we like to dance, we like to dribble the ball, we don't like to sit down. The average African-American post-high school does not read a nonfiction book from cover to cover. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so you are uh, doing through this podcast, this is an audio book, <laughs> you are given mm-hmm. information mm-hmm. Uh, that they are not uh, getting uh, out of closed libraries or on Google. Uh, and so I'm just appreciative of how you stand on the bank card. We'll be right back with more Money Making Conversations Masterclass with Rushan McDonald. Now let's return to Money Making Conversations Masterclass with Rushan McDonald. You, you said some great things. Uh, still, I'm telling anybody, my number's available. My email address is available. This show is available. They got the people, are young entrepreneurs down there at New Black Wall Street. Let them know they can contact WCLK. Reach out to me because of the fact if if you if your business don't have an avenue for people to know about it, then it leads to frustration. It leads to you, at least you becoming a victim of saying your dream is an impossible task. And my whole thing, my whole life, like I said, I'm, I'm one of those guys too from the, from nothing to something. You know, you know, a, a two-bedroom shotgun house, six sisters, two brothers. My father had a third-grade education, truck driver. My mama graduated from high school. And so I know what you have to do, and you have to follow dreams. But also you have to have mentors and people who believe in you. That role, I think that's what you're playing as a church leader, correct? Yeah, I'm, I'm endeavoring to do that. Uh, I think that uh, we've got to, one, dissolve the old-school notion that the pastor knows everything. Right. Uh, is that we've got to have circular leadership and not singular leadership. So you mm-hmm. need people who can educate us not just on finances, who can educate us on the law, mm-hmm. uh, who can help us uh, in civics class, who can help us in this whole right to vote quest. Uh, where is the black community's voice on Roe versus Wade? Mm-hmm. Uh, where are we in terms of gentrification? Uh, Where are we with the uh, underfunding of public education? Uh, All of those things, we've got to bring all the different seats to the table. And when you bring that to the table, that's all about the horizons and the new direction of new birth that you brought. Now, what is the future of new birth and what's the ultimate goals? 
If you would have asked me that two years ago, <laughs> I would have rattled it off with a Uzi and a silence. But uh, I think that uh, the church, quite frankly, is in puberty. Uh, our voice is changing. Our skin has uh, acne. Uh, in the words of uh, the old people, we starting to smell like outside. Uh-huh. Uh, you, you're going to have to ask me that probably in another nine months when the dust settles and we're able to see what does church look like. I'm doing something uh, my grandparents would have died over uh, July and August. I'm only doing in-person church on first and third Sunday and completely virtual second and fourth. Right. Uh, because our numbers really shot up in the pandemic. So I got to see, is it really worth it to turn the lights on? Uh, is the yeah. impact mm-hmm. any different? Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying out a model that I've not seen in a black or white church. Uh, and so pray for a brother. Uh, so in nine months, ask me again and I'll tell you. Well, I'm going to tell you something, Dr. Brown. A lot of people <clears throat> praying for you. A lot of people praying for you. Uh, but I will get in line to help pray for you. Uh, but, you know, the thing about it is that it's about charisma. It's about uh, having a direction and being focused because the church is always the basis. You know, we know black people got faith. Black people believe. Black people also can be misled. When I say that, not in a negative way because it's about information. If you don't have the right information, you're misled. And that's what right. we talk about economics. We talk about literacy. You know, you know, it's a joke in the black community about putting a child's uh, name on the light bill. And that's not a joke. That's real. And then yeah. that child's life is is ruined. And so, right. but but talk about your journey in, in, not in much detail or small detail about, you know, where you've come from to this point. And also the fact that, you know, your, 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 History in the church is not something you start. It's part of a family journey, if you can. Uh, I am originally from Boston, Massachusetts. I was raised in uh, Baltimore, Maryland. Um, I failed the 11th grade. Mm-hmm. Uh, after I failed the 11th grade, uh, Brother McDonald, my parents sent me to live in Monrovia, Liberia, West Africa for a year. Uh, for your listeners who do not know, Liberia is uh, the only country in Africa that was uh, formed by former slaves. Uh, And so I lived there for a year. I came back, uh, got a GED, uh, and I'm the first person to go to Morehouse with a GED. Uh, I graduated from Morehouse Political Science and International Studies. And uh, in tradition of HBCUs, uh, a month before graduation, I was alerted that I didn't... uh, have enough classes as an international studies major, uh, I needed to be proficient in a language. I wasn't proficient in a language. My only option uh, was to do study abroad. Mm -hmm. I went through the list. I saw to do study abroad, the only country I could go to with no language requirement was South Africa. Mm. I go to South Africa by the luck of the draw and God's grace. Uh, It is the year of the elections. And I become uh, Nelson Mandela's youth intern uh, <laughs> while uh, living there in South Africa. I come back. Uh, I go to Duke University. And uh, Duke University, uh, significant for me. I uh, went there for a master's degree. But many years before I went to Duke, my grandfather was a chef at Duke University when they li- didn't let black students there. Uh, while a, a student at Duke University, Kwaisi Fume. Uh, tapped me to be National Youth and College Director to NAACP. Uh, and I boast the record of being the youngest youth director the NAACP ever had uh, at that time. I came out of the NAACP. Uh, Rashana, you're not going to believe my story. Uh, 1999, we had our national convention in Charlotte, North Carolina. And Corey uh, C.M. has laryngitis. Mm-hmm. and asked me to give the national address to the NAACP. <laughs> I'm 28 years old. Uh, the next day, I'm on the cover of USA Today. I get off of the stage from giving that address, and I'm met at the bottom of the stage by the one and only Dick Gregory. Dick Gregory grabs me by my collar, throws me up against the wall, and says to me, young man, you're out of order. That ain't the word he used. He used another word. <laughs> I Those don't of y'all know I, Dick Gregory uh-huh. know what he said. Yeah, N-word. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you are out of order. He said, uh, when I was growing up, Black people, when they were in trouble, 
or call on Jesus in the NAACP. He said, you are part of a generation that doesn't believe in either. You're supposed to be a pastor. Brother McDonald, long story short, I walked out of there. And six months later, I started my church in Baltimore. 43 members to 10,000. And uh, three years ago, uh, God redirected my path to leave the church that I started to come here to Atlanta uh, to pastor the great New Birth Missionary Baptist Church. That's my story in a nutshell. We know the the beauty of that story, and I want black people to hear this. I want people to hear this in general, is that you can't you can't achieve success by yourself. That's the number one thing you get away from this story. And then people have to see something in you and not give up on you. That's also in this story. And when when and so that's that started with the parents. Parents didn't give up on him. He failed, but they didn't see failure. And then he accepted the challenge and rose beyond that. And and everywhere he went, somebody stepped in and moved him forward. Now, when those happens, when those moments happen, and you can correct me, Dr. Bryant, and I think I'm on the same page with you, they pushed him to a, the unknown, and that's where a lot of people stop. When they don't know what's happening, fear drops in, and they stop moving forward. And that is what's holding back our community, because we want to know what's happening, and you don't always know what's happening when you're trying to achieve success. Success is tied to overcoming the unknown and overcoming fear. Am I correct, sir? Oh, no, you're more than correct. And uh, uh, everybody has a testimony. Uh, Les Brown often says uh, your revenue is in your a reflection. Mm-hmm. What it is that you're able, <coughs> excuse me, what you're able to share, what you're able to disclose. <coughs> I'm so sorry. And what it is that uh, you have learned from. Uh, and so I'm grateful. So I, uh, as a consequence of my own journey, like many churches, uh, we give out scholarships, uh, but I am intentional to not just give scholarships to those who graduate top of the class, <laughs> uh, but those also who graduated bottom of the barrel. Right. Uh, that they also need an opportunity and need a chance. And that's the beauty and the prowess of HBCUs again, uh, who gave students who were not outstanding uh, an opportunity to thrive and shine. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm grateful. Well, here's the interesting thing we're about to wrap up here is that I'm from Houston, Texas, so I've been celebrating Juneteenth, you know, the state of Texas. It's been the state of Texas holiday forever. Now it's a national yes. holiday. And now it also lands on Father's Day. Okay, and black fathers have always been pushed aside or said we are, we don't understand the value or we're not responsible for. It. You're a black man. I'm a black man. I know I can get I get hard when I I, I get upset when I hear that. Uh, and and knowing that Father's Day is coming up, what role or responsibility are you taking upon yourself to make sure that black men? are being recognized for being strong fathers, strong parents, strong leaders in the community moving forward. Yeah. Is that your health is your wealth. Uh, and so on Father's Day, we are doing free prostate cancer screenings mm-hmm. uh, for all of our brothers uh, mm-hmm. because so many uh, Black men have been impacted by it. Yes. Uh, and the saying is uh, early prevention leads to the cure. And most black men don't go to the hospital till they come through the emergency room. Absolutely. Uh, it is also Juneteenth that we're setting up these uh, economic portfolios for investment, uh, for our people to be able to have some greater sense uh, of what the strength of their dollar is. So uh, in those ways, we're going to affirm as well as trying to help fathers who want visitation, who have been robbed of it, uh, to be able to get that through our partnering with the court system. You know, as we, as we, as uh, the pandemic has, as you said earlier, has been a health and economic crisis, and that's always been a blessing for the church. You know, as, as one would say, I'm talking to one of the most influential uh, uh, religious leaders in the country, and you, Dr. Bryant. As we, as you call someone to the altar, and someone's listening to this show, what is the final message you want them to receive so they can walk away with a clear understanding that they can be successful? They, they are walking in blessed shoes. They just need to acknowledge it and accept the responsibility of hard work. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? 
it's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Check the backseat. Check the backseat. Check the backseat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. That the church, uh, to not over-spiritualize it, is nothing more than a recycling center. We take that which has been discarded, that which has been thrown away, that which has imperfections, and help turn it into something else. The essence of who they are remains the same. But the shape and the spirit of it is what it is that we change. So every Sunday I tell people, you can come as you are. Just be clear, you won't stay as you are. My guest rose from uh, 11th grade dropout to receive a GED, enrolled in Morehouse first time, PhD, graduate of Duke, and now he is the senior pastor of Newburgh Missionary Baptist Church. He's a leader and also an inspiration, and I'm so fortunate to have him on the show to share these words. Know this, whenever you have something, please come to Money Making Conversation Masterclass. I'm a friend, advocate, and a believer in what you're trying to do to the community. Thank you for coming on Money Making Conversation. I'm appreciative. Thank you so much. And don't forget, I'm coming back to tell you about the future of the church once I figure out what it is. Well, I guess what, you know something, it'd be quick then because you got technology on your side. Okay. I appreciate you, Dr. Bryant. Thank you for coming on that show. We'll be right back with more Money Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashawn McDonald. You are now tuned into the Money Making Conversations, Minute of Inspiration with Rashawn McDonald. Hi, I'm Rashawn McDonald for Money Making Conversation with your daily Minute of Inspiration. Recently, I sat down with minister, author, speaker, and founder of the God Shift Movement, Shanae Rattler. Shanae talks about embracing disruption because it allows you to experience a shift. Shanae talks about embracing disruption because it allows you to experience a shift. You're empowering people to do what? Now I'm empowering people to embrace disruption, collide with God's purpose, and chase their destiny. People's lives, they're experiencing disappointments, but I believe that God is using those things to get our attention. The question is, are we going to learn what it is that he wants us to learn? And disruption doesn't always have to be negative. I think that the negative things are what get people's attention the most, but I believe that it's an opportunity for us to say, Lord, where is it that you need me next? If you were to listen to this full interview with Shanae Rattler, it's available on moneymakingconversation.com. Now let's return to Money-Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashawn McDonald. Welcome to Money-Making Conversations Masterclass. I am your host, Rashawn McDonald. I recognize that we all have different definitions of success. For you, it may be the size of your paycheck. Mine is inspiring people to accomplish their goals and live their very best life. It is time to stop reading other people's success stories and start writing your own. People always talk about their purpose or gifts. If you have a gift, leave with your gifts and don't let your friends, family, or coworkers stop you from planning or living your dreams. 
My next guest is Cassandra Cummings. She's a leading wealth and investment strategist and founder of the Stocks and Stilettos Society. It's the fastest growing online community of more than 100,000 women investors who are leveraging the power of investing to achieve their wealth building goals. She's a licensed financial advisor, investor, and speaker. Cassandra provides her knowledge and guidance to empower others on financial literacy. People everywhere should recognize her talent as we will at this point. Please welcome to Money Making Conversations Masterclass, Cassandra Commons. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so you, for having me. Well, first of all, thank you. Uh, you're on the West Coast. You're based in Oakland, California. Yes, I'm here um, right across from San Francisco and uh, go Warriors. <laughs> well, that's true. They, that's true. They, they're in the playoffs, which right. is a good thing. But I don't think the Warriors are keeping you in Oakland, California or in California. Why Oakland, California? Uh, were you were you just like using social media, using the Internet to build your brand? But why Oakland, California? Why are you why are you there? Um, Well, I'm here because this is home for me and there's no place like home. So, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I came back because there's a certain type of energy. There's a certain type of grit that I learned while being here. And I felt like I needed that energy uh, once again in my life. So I circled back after making a few pit stops and I'm back home now. Those pit stops. I always tell people, like, I've lived in New York. I've lived in Chicago. I mean, really live. I mean, years. Lived in Los, Los Angeles the longest, 15 years. And presently, I've been in Atlanta since 2007. So it's about 15 years here. But I'm originally from Houston, Texas. Each stop made me a better person, made me understand that different people in different parts of this country think differently, have a different set of cultural rules, and also have different dreams. In your travels, in the places that you said you had these pit stops, how did they impact you and made you the person that you are today? Well, I had a couple of pit stops. I, too, lived in L.A. for um, quite a long time. I think it was about 10 years. I finished school down there at USC. And then from USC, I wasn't quite ready to go home yet. Mm -hmm. And so I ventured out to Houston, Texas. I actually was pursuing a career as a broadcast journalist. And so I had some opportunities to go out there and uh, really work on the craft of becoming uh, a news reporter and had dreams of becoming a news anchor. And um, then I had to grow up. I had to actually go back to what I knew best. And that was, you know, the money industry and ended up coming back to the West Coast where um, I started my career in financial services with AIG. Well, you know, I, I don't really use the word grow up. You know, because a lot of people, if I was kids, a lot of people out there immature. I think that the realization of where your true gifts are your challenge, that's why I talk about your gifts or your purpose. You know, mm-hmm. lead with it. You know, that's what you're doing now. You're leading with your true gifts. Just because you want to do something, like I wanted to play basketball, but I just knew that that wasn't my gift, nor was that my purpose. And so what you just realize is that this is my true gift, take advantage of it. I remember... I would tell you, I wrote on my, I was living in L.A., it was October 9th, 1991, and I had a, I said, God, if you allow me to maximize all of my talents, and I will follow the talent that will lead me to my, where I'm supposed to go. Because we all, as we, if, when we are young, we have so many visions of grandeur about what we can do, what, but no goal or tie, is tied to it. That's what I felt that you're back in the financial world because you put goals to it. And the goals come expectations. And when you reach those expectations, you start reaping results. Whereas I was one time in the entertainment business. I was a very successful stand-up comic. I just didn't, I couldn't become goal-oriented with that. You're going for audition. Then they tell you, some people say they like you. Then they don't call you back. They call you back. Then somebody else gets it. See, I can't tie goals to that. I'm just a a logical thinking person. So I just think you're just a logical thinking person. Am I correct, Cassandra? Absolutely. But, you know, make no mistake about it. I've definitely endured a lot of rejection Um, that was really filled in the news broadcasting world. Got a lot of no's, sent out a lot of demo tapes. Um, And I would have, you know, have to say that's been the case even in financial services. You have a lot of clients that don't necessarily establish rapport with you. They don't necessarily want to work with you. That's, you know, a subtle form of rejection as well. And I mean, I too have fired clients because it just wasn't a good personality fit or 
you know, they were looking for something that I may not been able to successfully deliver on. So, I mean, I think it's just a everyday part of life dealing with those no's and those no's they make you pivot. So you right. end up having to change course <laughs> and that's okay. Cause sometimes when one door closes, right, as they say, another door opens and sometimes it could be the grand prize in mm-hmm. that uh, new door. <laughs> mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. And I think that a lot of people don't realize that, you know, they feel they be, they allow themselves to be blindsided by what their <laughs> own goals and their goals might not be the right goal for them. I know that, and I, that's why I wanted to bring you on the show because just looking at your your body of work, it it has it has tied to journeys. It is tied to decision making, and oftentimes when you are and I'd say that when you are an attractive woman, then a lot of people will not give you the cre- due credit because of your attractiveness. Am I wrong in making those statements like that? Absolutely. Um, I've always sort of played my beauty down a little bit um, for the most part. And I would say in recent years, I told myself I'm not playing small. This is who I am. Right. Mm-hmm. It just so happens that I have the brains that comes with a pretty face. Right. And I need to <laughs> actually use that as an asset. You, 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 you weren't trying to ugly yourself up no more, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I just, you know, just learned how to put on some eyelashes and some lip gloss. But, you know, before then, <laughs> you know, it was just really like, you know, this is who I am. And coming from Oakland, you know, we don't do a lot of beautification here, mm-hmm. I, I would say. You know, we grew up, wasn't a lot of, you know, provocative clothing and things like that. We were really from the town and we had a different way of maneuvering here that didn't really require you to flex your beauty, you really had to show and prove in different ways and not lead with your face. So I learned that. But as I started to make those pit stops, I saw really how advantageous, you know, pretty has privileges. And I really needed to use that to my advantage. Absolutely. You know, like, look at me, I got my suit on. You know what I'm saying? I got my suit on. I'm trying to be as pretty as I can. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to look as pretty as I can. So you're talking to the right person. Hey, (laughs) work it. You looking handsome over there. I like that. I like that because, you know, (laughs) as we go through life, you know, you have to like put all of your, your, all your bullets in the gun. You know what I'm saying? It's just start shooting. And you want to make yeah. sure you, you're shooting your best shot. And so and so that's, but the one thing that we know that, that you lead with is your intellect. You lead with your brand. You lead with the fact that you have, you can provide a strategy or financial goals that can change people's lives. Tell me a little bit how you came to be a wealth and investment strategist. It was really from my college mentor. Um, her name is Angela. And I mean, this woman, is was a powerhouse and you know i wanted to emulate her right and i saw her moving and shaking she was a bond trader here um at pacific stock exchange she worked in finance and i was like i want to be like her when i grow up because i came from you know very humble beginnings poor on welfare and i had an opportunity to now have a mentor have someone that could you know, get my foot in the door and really show me the ropes. Um, And so that was really my introduction to financial services. It was my introduction to really putting myself out there to help others. She is so generous with her time, with her knowledge. And that's something that I just wanted to emulate. And it just really became a part of who I am now. Now, and you say who you are. So now you are a mentor. Yes. Now you are a leader. (laughs) Now, what responsibility comes with that? Yes, (laughs) tons. (laughs) I mean, I never imagined the impact mm -hmm. that I would have. Like, I saw the impact she had, Mm -hmm. but I think I have definitely 10x that. I definitely did not think. She had that impact on you before, you know, social media got out there, you know, before the Internet became the craze. So, you know, she she she's a lot more intimate. A lot more personal. Well, now, you know, you post up on LinkedIn, you post up on social media, people DM you and all these things. And whether you respond to them or not, sometimes you don't want to. Sometimes you have to. You ask people to follow you, to build your brand and your relationships. (laughs) All of that. That's the world you live into. Now, you're the the founder of the Stocks and Stilettos Society. What exactly is that? 
So it's an online community of women investors. And I mean, we've got women in there who are at the very beginning of their investing journey, haven't even bought their first stock. We've got women who are in there with, you know, multi-million dollar portfolios. So there are black women in there that run the gamut. And we really wanted to create this space where women could really feel comfortable about talking about money, whether it be questions like, you know, how do you even buy a stock? to, you know, I need to do tax loss harvesting. And so we wanted to create that space where women who were well seasoned in investing could also help and embrace the ones who were coming up in this investing game. And I think this community has done a great job of making sure that we leave no sister behind. Now, when you say uh, 100 women investors, is that a uh, is that a newsletter? Is there a Facebook club? Where, where are where are these where are these one hundred thousand women? I apologize. So we have currently we have about ninety six thousand in a Facebook group. Oh, that's powerful. Have, that's powerful. Yeah, that's powerful. yeah. And then we have about eighteen thousand on our Facebook page, and we have about forty thousand on Instagram. And so collectively. When we look across all of our social media now, I'm platforms, not including this, this, our this, email, these some huge numbers. Now, I'm just going to let you know that there you, you know this is this is this is uh, ninety six thousand in your Facebook group, which is you know if you watch Facebook, they run a lot of commercials encouraging people to join groups, you know, and then you also on your Facebook page you have eighteen thousand, yeah. and then on Instagram you got another forty thousand. Yeah. Now, do y'all do uh, uh, retreats? We do. We um, well, we do a signature event called the Stocks to Star Summit in Vegas every year, October sixth through the eighth, or the first weekend in October, and it is a party unlike any other. I mean, I've never seen a group of women come together around the idea of investing and have so much fun. And we learn from some of the top people in the industry. So it's both, you know, I call it edutainment. We come out, we have a good time. We learn how to grow our money and then we get to business. We get down to business after we leave there. Okay. Now, October 6th through the 8th. Okay. In October, in Vegas. What hotel y'all at? We're at the Aria. We're doing big teams, okay? I'm telling you Aria got one of the best buffets in Vegas. I'm a buffet. I love buffets. I love buffets. Aria Hotel got one of the best buffets. I mean, you go in there, they got it all up in there. Already. Now, see, I just, I just, I just wanted to test it. See, see, you know, my whole thing with Cassandra Commons, you know, I'm testing her. You know, I'm, you know, people come on this show, you know, they throw out numbers all the time and act, you know, well, you know, I'm trying, I'm trying. But she just, she just set me back, you know. Well, Rashawn, 96,000, you can round up if you want to. You, you, you got, you know, mad. That's 100,000. That's a, either way, you say anything above 0.5, you round up anyway. That's 100,000. That's 100,000. Okay, now, 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 if you really, if you really think I'm fronting, 18,000 sitting over there, okay? If you really think I'm fronting, 40,000 sitting over there. Now, if you really think I'm fronting, uh, Vegas, you know, as a multi-day event, you know, October 6th through the 8th, you know, uh, at the Aria, you know, we're not off no beaten track. We're at the Aria, you know, where you go in there, everything's controlled in that hotel room by the phone. The phone controls everything. Turn on, the, turn the bathroom <laughs> lights, bedroom lights, open the front door, back door, balcony, lower the shades, everything in the Aria. I know exactly where you at. Woo! <laughs> right. We on the strip. On the strip. <laughs> I love it. So how long have you had this, uh, the Stocks and Stiletto Society been around, and when did it start? Um, well, we've been around since 2016, so six years, and, and it started after I left Merle Lynch. Um, I was talking with a friend, and I was just she telling dropping her, names you know, again. Really did she, did she drop the name again? She dropped the name again. She's, see, I just love talking. She just drops these names. I left Merrill Lynch, you know, just left her. <laughs> just, I had something to do. An Oakland girl here. I just started wearing lip gloss and eyelashes. A couple of weeks ago, you know, I've been, I've been winning naturally. I've been winning naturally. I just love it. What can I say? You know, I so so I'm making money moves over here. You know, absolutely. So so Merrill Lynch, and the reason I reason I bring that up because of the fact that in order to get respect, 
you have to be with respectable brands. And mm-hmm. when you're with respectable brands and you made the decision to lead that respectable brand, you have to have a goal. Now, that goal might not yeah. happen immediately, but you know that, okay, what they're doing doesn't fulfill me. And there's a lot of people watch my show, listen to my show, don't are trapped in jobs because they're afraid to change. They're afraid of the unknown. I'm pretty sure there was some fear tied to this. How did you overcome that fear of the unknown, Cassandra? You know, I would have to say it had to be my circle. You know, it was my circle that was rooting for me. They were my cheerleaders. They were like, you got this, sis, you going to do this. Mm-hmm. And I had a very difficult time really finding my lane afterwards because I had been trained to do things a certain way. Mm-hmm. And so I had to unlearn those things and reprogram myself to, to really go out here and serve in a different capacity. And so it took me about a year to kind of catch my footing. But I did have a conversation with one friend and she was like, you need to start a Facebook group. And I'm like, what is that? You know, because we couldn't really be on social media like that with the firm. And once I opened up the Facebook group, I had about 50 people. And before I knew it, I had like 5,000 people. And it just took off from there. That is awesome. That is awesome. Now, let's go back to the uh, Las Vegas event. Yeah. Now, what, what, what prompted that type of retreat? And, you know, we talked on, we really didn't go to, can you break down what happens on each day? Are there like um, seminars, are there speakers? Because I know there's entertainment. You're in yeah. Vegas, there's entertainment. What, what, is the, yeah. what is the takeaway <laughs> from that type of event from a standpoint of uh, education? Yeah, so um, we make sure you get educated for sure in a different realms of investing. So day one is our VIP day. They come out and they actually have two master classes. So we have two amazing speakers come out and they both teach our VIP ladies something um, that's going to help propel them, right? And then when we get to day two, which is the general sessions, we basically have morning breakout sessions. And that's going to be either between options or day trading. And then we have afternoon breakout sessions, and that's going to be really centered around. um, Let me remember. um, I can't remember off the top of my head, but we have two probably like crypto and something else, right? Side hustles. So crypto and side hustles. So morning we do options and day trading in the afternoon we do crypto and, um, side hustles. Then on the third day is when we have our panel. So we have a real estate panel. We have an angel investing panel. Um, we have a, a entrepreneurship panel this year. Um, we talk about a lot of things that help women take, have some takeaways that they can actually go and act on right away. So we give them actionable gems and it's not a bunch of fluff. You know, I'm really big on you know, getting away from the rah, rah, rah and stuff. Like I want people to have things that they can go and put into place when they leave this event. We'll be right back with more Money Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashawn McDonald. Now let's return to Money Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashawn McDonald. I'm going to tell you something, you know, because I'm, I'm really impressed with you and not saying that I it wasn't impressed with you before you came on the show, but you have a certain style. I think it's very, um, very comfortable. I think that's important, especially when you're dealing with, with your money, people, money. You want to be comfortable around somebody you're giving your money to. You don't ever want to be nervous about <laughs> handing your money <laughs> across the table with anybody. Now, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. Yeah. Okay. Lord knows the black community keeps getting left behind because we don't know, we don't trust. You know, Lord, you know, we, we just took our money out of the mattress, you know, 30 years ago, okay? And, <laughs> right. And, and we still in black communities dealing with these check cashing places and don't know anything about apps, don't even know anything about Zelle, anything, okay? This yeah. is true talk, okay? <laughs> I, want to, I want to turn into a couple, of, a couple of things into little snippets for you. Can you talk to the black community about why they should be involved with the Bitcoin and then separately talk to them about cryptocurrency? Uh, well, Bitcoin is definitely the granddaddy of cryptocurrency. Um, it's been around, I believe, about 20 years now. It's been around for a long time. 
12, maybe 12 years. And so, you know, like I say, with Bitcoin, it takes time to get to a certain level of, you know, investment success with anything, right? You've got to have sort of like this long-term view, even with crypto. So Bitcoin has definitely gotten a lot of buzz, a lot of media attention and things like that, because it has definitely come into its time, right? It's 40 something thousand. Now, if you want to buy Bitcoin, you can still buy Bitcoin. You don't have to buy a full coin. So if you want to put a thousand dollars on Bitcoin, $500 on Bitcoin, you can, and you can still, you know, make money off of that. There are tons of altcoins. We call those altcoins. And so Mm -hmm. those are your Doge coins, your Shiba coins, and things like that, that you can get into that are really, really inexpensive. And so you can put in $500 and walk away with like, you know, 500,000 shares of a coin by investing in some of these altcoins that may have the potential to rise and increase as much as Bitcoin. So that's really what the game is now. People are looking for the next Bitcoin in cryptocurrency. Um, the other thing, too, that's really big in crypto right now is really investing in coins that are tied to the metaverse. I was just talking to someone this morning about, you know, coins that are heavily involved in digital real estate in the metaverse. And so a lot of people are starting to allocate money and it could be a small amount to some of these coins like Gala and Decentraland and things like that, that are heavily connected with the metaverse and digital real estate. So there are really good opportunities, especially for black people to get in with very little money and, you know, very little risk um, with crypto. So you know why I'm laughing, right? Digital, metaverse, none of that's real. None of that, none of that. (laughs) It's not real. You know, black people thought stock market wasn't real at one point. Well, I I know where IBM is at. I I know where the Home Depot is. I go, I, I, I can lose some money at Home Depot, get mad at Home Depot. <laughs> Digital real that's estate. Right. Uh, huh? Huh? And that's the part that hey. we have to cross that line over understanding the reality of with NFTs. NFTs. You know, you know, the college athletes learning about uh, NILs, all these things. Uh, we're, mm-hmm. we're fast moving into a society where education really may never catch up with us. So it means that the ability to be a participant may never be an opportunity. And so bringing you on my show at least helps us understand that there are people like us. There's a community Mm -hmm. of women out there who don't want to be average, who don't want to be left in the back, who want to be able to say, how can I be a part of this? Now, you have a little program called Build a Bag of Wealth. I think that's the best way to close up with you in this interview. But also, I I have a show. I do my show live on Tuesdays on WCLK campus. I take phone calls. I'd love to invite you on my live show. It also plays back on my national platform, but you are so engaging. And whenever I bring an investor on, somebody talking about stock, the phones light up. And that's why I know these black folks want to know how to make some money. I mean, I can bring on celebrities, no calls. I bring on somebody talking about stock. Oh, they find their way to that phone. So I know there's education that they want, but the opportunity to participate, they're being left out on. So talk about your Build a Bag of Wealth. Yeah, so Build a Bag is a program that um, I came up with to teach women and men. It's actually open to everyone um, how to trade options. And options are contracts um, to buy stocks. You're not obligated to buy them. But oftentimes, you know, we don't have a lot of money to get into the stock market, to buy the Amazons, to buy the Googles, um, because they're just really priced, you know, extremely high. But if you learn how to trade contracts, you can still make money off of Amazon or IBM or Home Depot, what have you, with very little money. And so we have designed this program called Build a Bag, where we show people how to go from $500 to $5,000 in typically about a month and a half to two months. <laughs> see, see, uh, see, see, 
see, uh, I'm, about, I'm about to talk, talk to my staff. So we should just start it off with that conversation. <laughs> $500 to $5,000. <laughs> you know something? Right. Uh, we're going to book you on my show. My Money Make Money Master Clay. I'm, I'm, I'm firing some people off the show to bring you on this one. Okay? They no, need to hear. show them how to trade options. Oh, they need to hear it. Okay, we're going to start off with the $500 to $5,000 in a month. We're going to start that conversation off immediately. But you've been fantastic. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm glad you contacted me. I'm glad we contacted you. It was it was a synergy. My people were reaching out to you. You naturally reached out to me. Know that you'll be hearing from me again. I want to bring you on my live show. It's just like this. A very fun NPR. It airs on a lot of 20 HBCU campuses, 71 stations nationwide. We're the number one weekend show on black radio in America. But more importantly, you are number one in my financial heart. Okay, we're going we gonna to win together here, girl. $500 to $5,000 in a month. We got to talk. I'm looking forward to it. I appreciate you. Thank you for coming on Money Making Conversation Masterclass. Thank you. If you want to see or hear any of my interviews, please go to moneymakingconversation.com. I am Rashawn McDonald. I am your host. You've been listening to Money Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashawn McDonald. Always remember to lead with your gifts. Money Making Conversations Masterclass is a presentation of 3815 Media Incorporated. You are now tuned into the Money Making Conversations Minute of Inspiration with Rashawn McDonald. Hi, I'm Rashawn McDonald for Money Making Conversation with your daily minute of inspiration. This week I sat down with the founder and CEO of Stackwell Capital Inc., Trevor Rozier Bird. He talks about how his fintech company helps take away the stress of investing. You know, I think a lot of times when you talk about this notion of investing within our community, there's a lot of barriers to entry. Many of these things could not be further from the truth. What we're really trying to create at Stackwell is a community um, that is like rooted in a sense and notion of collective achievement that is about empowering one another to leverage the, the market as an extremely powerful tool to help people grow and amass wealth over time so that they can secure the financial freedoms and social freedoms that we all seek for ourselves and for our families. If you want to listen to this full interview with Trevor Rozier Bird, it's available on moneymakingconversations.com. You can listen to more great money-making conversation masterclass interviews on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Audible.